We are I. It's four thirty in the morning. 4.35 to be exact, on this Thursday morning, November, whatever, 9? Is it November 9? Anyway, this weekend, tomorrow morning, I'll be an hour into my trip, hopefully already, and this hour will bring me, well, I don't know, hopefully, in between hope and merit. I shall be an hour and a half into my trip, an hour and 35, so I plan leaving at 3 o'clock tomorrow morning to perform a ritual that means a lot to me. You know, through these conversations that I get in with my daughter because of these random questions that I that we find online, you know, she asked me, it's like, what is one of your best memories? What is one of your best memories with your dad? And I said to her, I was like, that has to be hunting when I was a kid. You know, I remember these times when we would wake up on the on the farm in southern Alberta and it'd be cold. It'd be really cold in November. There'd be snow on the ground, the crunchy snow. When you walk and you take that step outside and you feel that real cold air for the first time as you came in or it came outside from somewhere that was, you know, nice and warm and cozy. You'd spent the night underneath your sheets, your blankets. It's it's cold, but I was never I was never not enthused to go. I always wanted to go. It never seemed arduous to wake up in the morning to go hunting. I knew that we were about to more likely than not hop in our 77 Toyota Land Cruiser FJ45. The truck style is the 45. It's not like the 40 that's the Jeep or the 55 that's the wagon style. It's the truck style. But it was cold. It was basically just a metal box. Just a metal. Like, and the heater worked okay. But it wasn't great. Sometimes we would take our GMC half-ton truck. But more likely than not, we'd be taking the Jeep just in case if we needed something four-wheel drive and something with a winch. Although there'd be nothing to winch to, you know, hunting in southern Alberta in the stubble fields. You know, even if you could find a fence line, most fence lines in southern Alberta, ironically, don't even have a fence. But we'd hop out, we'd start up the Jeep is what we called it. You know, it's plugged in for the night just so that it would start in the morning. We had a garage, but... Rarely ever parked any of our vehicles in the garage, which kind of is the same commonality of, you know, people who live in BC now, you know, where your garage is just a storage unit that you don't necessarily have to pay monthly for, but you do have to pay monthly for. And you just can't park your vehicle inside because we have so much shit. You know, but we'd hop in this vehicle and it would be the same thing, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning. We didn't have to drive far, only a few miles down the road to be able to go where we knew that there would most likely be deer. And I would remember when my dad would drop me off, you know, on a fence line because we we would know, you know, like there was these little draws, these little gullies, just, just, just enough. So that if a deer was standing in it, you wouldn't be able to see the top of it. You wouldn't be able to see. And if they were bedded down, you especially wouldn't be able to see. And he would drop me off and I would walk out there and I would belly crawl down these fence lines in the snow. I had my 
wool pants on, the same ones they used to use in World War II because, you know, my dad and all his buddies had, you know, army surplus, you know, winter gear for hunting. You know, had the nice cargo pockets on the side and, you know, they were real good, sturdy wool. They lasted a long time. Lots of buttons, lots of snaps, lots of places to attach things to. And I would sit there and I would wait for hours. And I remember my dad, you know, would tell me later on in the day, and he still tells these stories now if you ask him. But he'd be looking at his spotting scope from a mile or two away parked in the road. And he would just be so proud of me. He would he would sit there and watch how I would strategically and methodically just take my time to be able to belly crawl down these fence lines. You know, I remember this one time I was belly crawling down this fence line and there was this buck and I just wanted to get a little bit closer. I was I was within range. I was within 150 yards. Well within range. You know, the 243 I used, I, I could ethically take a shot at 250, no problem. But you know, at 150, it was money in the bank, no problem. Especially laying on the ground, you could get in a nice relaxed position perfectly fixed to the ground to make sure there's no movement to your rifle. You just lay those crosshairs right on that deer and take that nice, clean, ethical shot. But I was laying there and I was doing such a good job, belly crawling down, and I was so happy to be coming up on this deer. You know, now I'm within 100 yards. And I get down within 75 and with down to 50. And, you know, if you're 50 yards away from a deer, it might sound like a long ways away, but if you're ever hunting, you know, like 50 yards, you almost feel like you could reach out and touch it. So I get a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And the wind's in my favor. Just that nice, subtle, gentle Southern Alberta wind that's, you know, pushing your scent in the opposite direction. And I get down to within 25 yards. And I just lay there and I just wait. And now I'm so nervous because I'm so close that I, I don't even know how to be able to take this shot. And then this deer starts walking over my way. Because again, the wind is blowing in the right direction and you know, can't quite see me. Can't quite smell me. I'm hidden amongst this nice tall grass. I get to this fence post and I know that I'm going to use this fence post to lean against to be able to prop my rifle against to be able to take this nice clean shot. But I'm so close now, I can't. And I'm sitting there and this deer just keeps walking closer and closer. Now I'm just laying completely dead still. Face down on the ground. I'm even scared. I'm nervous to even look. I don't even want to look up. So I'm slowly twisting my head just to be able to look up. And this deer is literally standing over top of me. If I would have jumped straight up quick enough, I would have been able to drive my head into the bottom of this deer's chin. I could see every little hair that's just matted tightly against this deer's legs. I could feel it. I almost could feel the warmth of this deer. And I get, I don't even know what to do. And I'm just laying there, which felt like an eternity. It was actually probably, you know, tens of minutes. I just laid there and this deer just stood there looking around, did absolutely nothing but just enjoying that time. And we enjoyed that time together. And then all of a sudden, I hear this truck. I can hear that it's coming towards me and I, I can tell that it's in the field where I am. 
And that's one thing that a lot of people do is they just drive these fence lines and, you know, spook a deer because whitetails are notorious for running out between, you know, 75 and 100 yards and turning broadside, giving you the perfect shot. So if you spook one, he can hop out of the truck real fast, pop the door open, use the door as a rest, and you just wait. If you're patient enough, that deer will stop and he'll turn broadside for you every time. So I'm laying there. And I don't want to lift my head up and turn it the other way, but I can hear this truck getting closer and closer and closer. Now I'm worried that I'm going to get run over laying here on this fence line. Because I'm kind of in between the taller grass and the stubble, where if this guy's driving close enough or in far enough, like they very well likely could run me over, but I'm patient. I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to weigh it out. And at this point in time in my life, I may be... I don't know, 11, 12 years old, maybe 13 years old. And this truck gets close enough that it spooks this deer and it runs away and this truck takes off. You know, this buck's a nice size, but it's nothing really to write home about. You could say you shot a buck, but it wasn't something that you'd, you know, brag about or tell your buddies about. So then I stand up and I start, you know, walking back down the fence line and I can see my dad from a couple miles away start to, you know, make his way towards me because even if he was 20 miles away, I'd still be able to see him making his way towards me because, again, we're talking about southern Alberta. Flat prairie land. And he gets back to me and he's like, fuck, son. You know, he's like, I watch you. He's like, that deer is standing literally right on top of you. And I'm like, I know. He's like, why didn't you take the shot when you were like... 150 yards away, I'm like, I just wanted to see how close I could get. I just wanted to see. Well, it turns out, standing literally on top of me. And he was just, I remember how impressed my dad was. And even though that day, we didn't shoot anything that day, but we did the next day. But I remember him telling his buddies about that story. And how proud I felt because how proud my dad felt. And even if you ask my dad that story today, he'll tell you that story. And that same, that same elation, how proud he was at that time. It still comes across in his voice today. And this is, this is the value to me of memories. This is the value to me of campfire stories. And this is the value to me of creating those times with your children, your friends and your family. Because as I get older, I realize the the power that memories have. If you can sit there and you can listen to a story that somebody's telling that involves you directly, and you can hear raw enthusiasm, Raw excitement, raw elation in somebody's voice when they're telling a story that involves you. Like nothing makes you feel any better. Nothing makes you feel so good but those stories. I love them. I love those stories. And especially when those stories are coming from somebody like your dad. At a time in your life that you glorify and you value now at 40, I tell people all the time, it's like the best time of my life is growing up on a farm. I can tell you all the reasons why. And like stories like this is just one of them. And I have hundreds of them. 
So tomorrow when I leave at three o'clock in the morning, when my dad gets up at two to be able to drive a half an hour to hop in with me, as we drive 11 hours, plus the stopping, 11 hours of solid driving to be able to get to central Alberta where we're going to go hunting. And all the conversation we get along the way and how now, you know, almost 30 years later, we're embarking on the same journeys to be able to tell the same stories in another 10 years or 20 years from now. Like that's going to be amazing. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And the best part about this is this is these stories now involve my cousin who's, you know, about 15 years older than I am, 12 years older than I am. And these stories involve him. So now you have my dad's sister's son. You you have a man in his 70s, a man in his 50s, and a man in his 40s that are all part of the Venetruck clan. We can now share stories. We can share stories with our children. And our children can see us doing these things and hopefully be a part of it one day as well. So my question of the day this morning is, what stories do you have? What stories that you have that you can lean on when you're saying they're all alone? And for whatever reason, that memory just pops into your mind and says, hey, you need to think about me right now for whatever reason. Like what? What are they?